welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Hello and welcome back to the Birth Activists podcast. And as usual, I have the lovely Samantha Gadsden with me. Hi, Sam. Hi, Becky. And we have a very, 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 very special guest today. And Sam and I honestly um, do fangirl quite a few people as you might know if you've listened to quite a few of our podcasts this is definitely one of those moments and it's the amazing Sheena Byram good morning Sheena oh good morning thank you so much for that wonderful introduction uh, Becky and Sam I just um, always cringe when anyone says that because what you've got to understand is that mm-hmm. I am a very ordinary Lancashire girl um, that never imagined anybody would say anything like that about me in my whole life. So <laughs> it just feels a bit uh, overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> but thank you for being so kind to me and and for welcoming me like that. It does make your heart sing when someone um, makes you so welcome. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, and, you know, Sam and I have met you a couple of times and you are, you know, a very down to earth person and always more than happy to, to chat to, you know, people that, that come up and ask you questions. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people that will know you and that were listening to the podcast will have the same kind of thoughts as well is that, you know, you're more than happy to give your time to talk to people. And that's, and that's a, you know, really, really, really good gift to be able to give people as well. Oh, well, yeah, because what, what else can, do you know, I don't, I think that that's, that's kind of just normal. And uh, my mum, my mum was very much of that kind of a, a person who always just met, you know, sort of everybody was, she treated everybody as though they were the, be- the you know, that was the only person in the world that she was speaking to. So that's, yeah, it's just, and you're great people to talk to. Why would I not want to spend some time with hanging out with you? Oh, thank you, yeah. Sheena. Yeah. And I must admit, you know, Sam and I, you know, obviously talk a lot to it to each other. And one of the things that often comes up in birth work, especially as doulas, is that they, we often come across a very uh, defensive attitude from a lot of midwives and healthcare professionals. And I think that's probably why you, you know, you hold such a, a really dear place in our hearts is because you're one of the midwives that doesn't, you know, you're often speaking out and in encouragement of, of people, you know, hiring doulas and working with doulas. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, shall I just, t- t- shall I just say about my background a bit, yeah, just, because, just in case, because I, I, you know, just so that it, so that the listeners know that I'm where I'm coming from. So I'm a midwife and I've been a midwife since the 1970s and which, you know, makes me really old. And I, um, and I started to be a, a, a student midwife, a pupil midwife in those days when it was the absolute, you know, full throttle medicalization of childbirth based on O'Driscoll's uh, work from Dublin, the obstetrician who, who came up with this, this uh, um, kind of based on his work, came up with this uh, uh, processing of women through the maternity system. It's still going on, whereby you had to do certain things, one of which was um, uh, doing ARMs, intervention, lots of, you know, syntosin on all the rest of it. Uh, that was like right in the middle of my education as being to be a midwife. And I thought that was fine. Like, you know, that was how I learned to be a midwife. And, and, and I... And I, you know, sort of I had two children under that regime and, and again thought it was fine, you know, because I was work- I had the babies in the hospital that I worked in and, and, you know, had my waters broken when they didn't need to be. I was forced into labour, but I was happy with that because everybody did it. Um, I, you know, I was I was I was starved in labour and my, my baby, you know, they tried to separate me from my baby. Um, all the things that I'd learned that were the right way to do until I left you've probably heard me tell you this story before but it's just important for where where I am now so then I left after when I was having my second baby and um I um when went had to go back to work when when I'd had James who was my second child and and the only place I could go to work at that time who needed midwives was a was a place in the village where I live now and it was an an old maternity home and it was just the most amazing place. And, and I, I couldn't believe women were giving birth there in the way that they were. 
and some even on my first night it was like you know a, a, it was like a, seeing an apparition before you because I was seeing a woman giving birth undisturbed walking around uh, minimal intervention just very chilled and all the rest of it and that that I kind of thought wow what's going on here and then I learned from the midwives there how to be a midwife and I learned how to use my hands and my heart and my intuition and and on top of my knowledge um, really to understand the processes of labor without fully understanding the the true uh, um, kind of scientific uh, and sort of physiological basis of, of it I was just learning sort of on the job and it that's why I'm so passionate about it now is because I I kind of you know was brought up as it were in one system and then and then saw another and it just and it just it just blew my mind and so of course then I went on to do other things with that knowledge and did home worked as a home birth midwife worked as a community midwife you know doing doing the full continuum of care I didn't do uh, midwifery group practice I didn't do case loading then I went on to work in the hospital then I went on to be a community midwife manager then I went on to be a consultant midwife then I went to be a head of midwifery and I am integrate integrating two um, district general hospitals and and we we created I, I helped to lead the development of three birthing centers really because of the knowledge that I'd had from my my um, my young, early years. And it's weird, really, because in those, you know, it's over 10 years ago, it's 11, 12 years ago, before birthplace study, before we had any research evidence that 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 birth birth for women without complications is better out of hospital. There, there wasn't all that evidence then. So I, I had to literally go around doing consultations with with um, GPs, with doctors, you know, obstetricians, neonatologists, midwives, and talking to them about why it was important to have these birth centers without any evidence whatsoever. So you can imagine what that was like. Wow. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell, my career. Obviously, there's much more to it than that. But, um, but the reason you asked me the question, you, you actually brought up the topic of doulas. And, and really interesting, I've been talking about it to Maddie McMahon this morning about the doula midwife relationship. And during those years, it was only really in the past 10 years, I've, I've maybe a little bit longer, I've been introduced to doulas. So I, we didn't have doulas in this area. Or well, we did actually, we had one or two just kind of springing up. Um, and it was because when I, because of the most of the work that I did personally was being a doula as well. Um, which I'll come on to, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, it's not the same thing. And we, I, I know that, but I was doing a lot of the emotional work that doulas do. And um, because I was there in the beforehand intrapartum and postnatal period. And so I felt that I had the space and the time to do that. And now you see, we know that in many situations, midwives don't have that time they don't have that space they move they the way that that midwives and uh is bit as have been their jobs have been kind of um evolved is that they're taking on more and more non-midwifery work and the mid true midwifery work is is the thing that's that's left to other people which which is really really sad but that doesn't mean to and it's sad for many reasons which i can come on to but that's not the reason why I'm so close to doulas, because the reason why I love doulas is because I believe that women and birthing people uh, deserve to have who they want at their birth. And if they've got a midwife and a doula, marvellous, because actually, if I'd have had a doula at some of the home births or at any birth I've been uh, facilitating I would have absolutely loved to have had someone else with me like-minded nurturing nourishing supporting loving the woman um, um, and it would have made my life easier and you know when I have to go off to writing the records there's still somebody there who's on the same wavelength as me who's supporting the woman absolutely marvelous so I think that you know we we are lucky to have doulas now and I just wish that we could still have doulas and still have midwives, but I wish that midwives could do more of the emotional work and that they could get back to their roots and their original mm -hmm. purpose, which is being with woman, being with birthing person, and actually, 
you know, being there in, in, in a, a, as a whole person and um, knowing that person through and through, even if they've only just met them, finding out as much as possible. So I'm rambling now, aren't I? But, um, <laughs> but all yeah, good. So, it's all good. So, I think what you were saying about it being sad for many reasons, and, and one of those is, is what you've just said there, is that for so many people that come into midwifery, um, they have this vision of what you've just yeah. described, being with women, giving emotional support, providing all that. Mm-hmm. And the re- reality of it is that in, in the system currently, that's not possible. And so a lot of midwives, um, you know, are, are, are very sad that they're actually not being able to give the care that they, that they came into the profession wanting to give. Yeah. And it's eroded over the years, Becky. It's, you know, it's, it started when I was still at work and I had a lot of conflict as a, as a midwifery leader because I could see it happening. For example, for example, I mean, I wrote a blog post about this and I can't find it. Um, 10 years ago, I remember raising this issue of, you know, how ludicrous it is that every week they'd be, midwives would be asked to do more and more and more of things that are not midwifery related. They're, they're mainly focusing on risk management and these can be slips, trips and falls, reduction of pressure sores. I mean, you know, I've been a midwife for 40 odd years and I can honestly say I have never seen a pressure sore. And maybe some midwives who are listening, if they're listening are, and there might be women who are birthing people that are listening and they may have had a pressure sore, but I have never seen it, right? So I have never known a woman to, even when we used to, women used to stay in bed for three days, you know, after they'd had their babies, we used to do douches. We used to, they used to lie in bed and we used to wash their vulvas for them. Um, you know, we had to learn how to do that as student midwives. So women weren't, you know, they weren't encouraged to get up out of bed, just apart from going to the toilet. So even then, you know, there was no pressure sores. So, mm. and this is 10 years ago, we, I, you know, I was a, as a manager being told by the governance team, right, we need to bring this in now. Midwives have to do this form. And, and, and then next, oh yeah, and midwives need to be formed and informed antenatally. What, so on top of the other hundred things that we have to talk to women about, that you, the women usually switch off after thing, item three, yeah. And you have to do it now in super quick time because actually we're cutting your time down to from an hour to half an hour to three to 10 minutes. You know, it's, 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 it, and as a midwifery manager and as a midwife working under those pressures, it's absolutely unbelievably hard. And then you, on top of that, you get, you go to meetings with, with your, um, with the finance team who say, um, well, we, we, we have to make this amount of savings this month because we're we're really behind. We're going to be in trouble with the chief exec, you know, we're going to be with the executive board. So what we have to do is make cash savings. And that means that we can't replace those three midwives that have gone off on maternity leave. We can't replace them. So on top of everything else, you've got to make do with less people. So that's at a a macro level. And then you get to the micro level where the midwives are coming to you, the very same person crying and saying, there's nobody to work the shift on. This is 10 years ago. This is, so now it's far, far worse. And of course with coronavirus, it's even, it's like triply hard. So if you imagine that on a daily basis, it's, um, it's, 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 it's just phenomenal. Um, And there are people that are negotiating that, that kind of structure and those those organizations they're negotiating it and they're they're doing phenomenal things you know because of their skill because of the teamwork that they're because they've got people around them who are nurturing them and nourishing them and because they've got common sense and because they're 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 empowered to to be the very best they can be in their jobs their teams are responding and they're 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 doing phenomenal work and that and you know they're the ones who we can say wow how did you do that um but but it's it's sad because many are floundering and 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 also sheena and i know that you've got experience in this yourself is that those people that challenge what is going on in the system what is currently you know current practice and try and change things for the better are often, uh, you know, sticking the head above the parapet. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an element of uh, bullying inside the system and being being shot down as being that only person speaking up, but actually have we considered this? 
um you know and so i know you yourself and amanda burley's one of the others that i can think of right now who have tried to make positive change and have have been at the hand of of bullies basically and i'm going to say sheena that that is something i found really helpful and particularly inspiring about you um Obviously, I've been, I've seen, I've seen Sheena speak at quite a few conferences, because if you do the conference circuit, Sheena's often there. And one of the things, if you don't mind me speaking for you, Sheena talked about is her experiences of being bullied in the press and how Sheena won't in turn become a bully. Um, And that is a stance that I've always worked to as well. And it's something that I've come under fire for, that I won't come out and name and shame individuals, that I won't come out and participate in that kind of thing and that I'm much more focused on the positive change that I can make than looking at everybody else's and one of the very first workshops that I ever went to Sheena that you gave that is something that you talked about um and it it kind of just gave me that I was already taking that stance but it's it helped me all I can say is it helped me to hear you say it as as well well, thank you. Yeah, just to just to clarify what you what, that's that's lovely, Sam. Thank you for that feedback because it is something I'm really passionate about, and I I suppose it stems from uh, it stems from my past, but also just to just to clarify what you said, Becky, because the the thing with me is I I wasn't really um, vilified within my any organisation that I worked in. Uh, which actually was only ever one, two, two organisations that, that then became one. Um, it, it, it was never, I, I was never kind of bullied for trying to make change happen because actually I, I was, I was in a really good position that I was often, I was often chosen to implement change and I was often encouraged to do it by my seniors I had, but I did have, so, so that it wasn't like that in practice, but I did have some bullies, um, many, 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 many experiences of being very badly bullied. Um, only, only once was it for trying, for, uh, trying to support women to be able to do something like having a bath. So that was very early on in my career um, when I moved from the birth centre that I mentioned into the hospital. And in the birth centre, women, you know, including myself, because I had my second, third and fourth children in this particular birth centre um, that, that, that closed, um, I, I, um, women could just go and have a bath. And, and of course, when, I was trans- when it closed and I was transferred into the hospital setting that was the same organisation, women couldn't have a bath. And there was one particular bully who um, who who was awful to me, and my colleagues were saying, Sheena, if you keep going against what she says, you're going to get referred to the. It was then the UKCC, which is like the NMC now. You're going to get reported and struck off the register, and so that was the only time that I ever tried to implement change. That that I was that 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 it was really really seen frowned upon, and I was bullied for it. But that same bully bullied everybody, so she wasn't singling me out. She was just a, a horrendous person. Um, but there are, there were other times, um, and that but the bullies really did it for other things very often in in my in my career. But um, and sometimes it was because you were rising above the parapet in terms of. Uh, uh, making a successful change so and 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 sometimes it was horizontal violence you know it was your peers that that didn't speak to you or it's renowned for this is is health services I don't think it's just midwifery I think there's many many organizations where you know you you do something I've got colleagues and lovely friends student midwives who who are doing brilliant things but they don't tell anybody because they seem to be big big headed but but when you alluded to the press Sam and and um and and things that have happened with me that's mainly been on social media and the media and that's because I've spoken about um normal birth um, Mm. and I'll continue to speak about normal birth um, um, because it, it, you know, for me, it's um, it's a, it's just an it's just the, the evidence of us. It's like talking about normal pulse rate, normal heartbeat. If I'm if I'm um, if I, when I was a nurse, if I heard a heartbeat that if it wasn't, I knew what the normal range was, a physiological range of a heartbeat, and if it went outside the the, the normal, I would call the doctor. When I trained to be a midwife, I was trained to understand normal physiological processes. If 
if the person who you're caring for, some, there's a deviation from that, you call a doctor. So the way, the, the reason that, that so it's, I, I can't walk properly at the moment. I've got um, drop foot because I've got a slip disc in my back. So I don't have a normal gait. I actually limp. And that's because physiologically, when you walk, you do put one step in front of the other and your body works in a way that it's supposed to, but mine doesn't. So I have to walk with a limp in order not to fall. And so I, 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 you know, I haven't got normal gait. So, and it's the same with normal bowel movement or, or, you know, anything that's physiological, we have to know what the boundaries are in order to identify when it's not. So that, especially as midwives, because that our realm is normal birth. So, um, so I was vilified for talking about that, of course, after the Morecambe Bay report, but there was a there's a confusion between supporting women to, um, to, to have the pro to go through physiological processes in a safe environment in a safe mm. way because you're a skilled practitioner is different from someone who's not really uh, uh, not really paying attention or potentially um, d putting the woman at danger because she doesn't understand or she's trying to push an agenda there's two the two completely different things but I wasn't I was seen as someone who wasn't paying attention to to um, the fact that there was a there was a desire to get rid of the term. There's a desire to get rid of an ideology. Well, you know, it, it's I want I think I, I'll always go back to the it, this is about both and it's about both normal birth and and about both and about uh, supporting women that need intervention. It's about or, or want intervention. It's about this is about everything. It's not something that's separate. It's and it's about our job as well. So mm. it's about women in the first instance, women and birthing people in that, in that the evidence tells us very clearly, just as it does with infant feeding, that the closer you 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 keep to physiology, the the, the more the healthier it is for the woman, as long as there aren't any complications. Yes. So you know, that's all I'm doing. I'm not doing, I'm not trying to push somebody down, you know, down a rabbit hole of, 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 of something that's can, can potentially can cause harm if, if it's, you know, if, if, if it's done wrongly. It's just that, you know, all I'm doing is supporting normal processes. That's all um, in the best way possible. And the evidence has on one hand, has it that it's better for the mother and baby most in in the biggest res, uh, piece of research that's been done asking women what they want it's what they want it's what women want and it's also our job so you know the international confederation of midwives it's very clear in the scope of practice that it's you know midwives role is 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 to facilitate normal and promote normal birth so i i was kind of vilified for that which was hard but I'm but like um but like, and that's my Apple Watch speaking to me. <laughs> but like, um, you know, like Sam said, one of the things that I've learned from it, and I, it had, it did actually traumatize me, and it really did traumatize me, and it still does. So I'm triggered by, um, you know, this calling out culture. I'm triggered by mm. it because, because it. Um, it makes me ill actually. And, and I know that we shouldn't be centering ourselves and we shouldn't be thinking, oh, this is all about me. It's not, you know, it isn't all about me at all. And if there's any group of people, whatever they, wherever they are, I came from a, a background where my father was um, Irish and he was, you know, he, he, taught, he told me when he, I was a little girl, he's been dead a long time, but he was, he told me that he, you know, when he came to England at first as an immigrant, he, he was told, you know, there were signs on, he was trying to get lodgings and there were signs, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, you know, he, he was, he was, um, and then I grew up in a house where we didn't have any money and my mum would always help other people all the time. And I, ha I'm, you know, I'm a white person, I'm privileged. I've got, I've, you know, I'm a cis woman. I'm, I've kind of got so many privileges, um, but, but I, that doesn't mean that I can't be empathetic to people. Mm -hmm who I don't fully understand, I haven't got the lived experience, but I've touched on it slightly, but I've actually can, I've got the ability to, to be with people, whoever they are. And that's yeah. what I feel my skill is. So um, I don't like calling, call out culture. I won't align with it. Uh, I'll always, always go away from calling out culture. I'll move away from it 
people who do that will be uh, I, it doesn't mean I won't I won't speak to them or be there be, be in their company or anything I just I just don't I can't ever do that myself and yeah we can call out ideologies we can call out um, ways of doing but we we you know I've got a particular thing about about ridiculing others because I don't think it brings you closer you know um, no it, I think there's a lot of ego um, involved in that in, in, in yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure I think there's hurt and trauma as well Becky yeah, I think absolutely that, you know people come from a place of trauma and and if you if you've been traumatized you know why would you not fight back why would you not try to 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 get your point across and I, I totally get that and I'm not saying that I'm right or that I'm better than anybody else but what I can't what I don't see I can't see it bringing anything any goodness to, no. to the world by 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 being um, aggressively uh, aggressively you know or non-aggressively because sometimes people sometimes things are done in a in a in an inverted commas non-aggressive way but it's passive aggressive and it's and it's it's just you know by by inclination you know I've spent my life I've spent my career avoiding the bullies on delivery suite and seeing how they function divide and rule you know bring Mm. you go with them because you don't want them you to be the next person to be criticized so you go along with them even though you don't like what they're doing yeah. And I have I haven't done that, but I've seen how others have done that, gone along with the bullies because, you know, it's like what? what why would you not want to be part of the clique because you'll be next if you're not? Yeah. And so and I think that's what I was referring to when I was talking about ego. It's that you know that there are those people obviously that are speaking from from a place of of trauma, but there are also those that want to be with the in gang, and so that's all about personal, you know, how they're perceived, and uh, you know, I want to be in with the in gang, I want to be, mm-hmm. you know, progressing. So in order to do that, I need to be aligning with this person and so you know and and there would be um yeah the sort of the the other side of of the camp I guess yeah and I I understand you know we trying to understand different different views and opening yourself to criticism Mm. and opening yourself to critiquing my daughter Anna um, has taught me a lot about this she's really she really holds me to account sometimes and says yeah but mum just look at it from other points of view and and so I you know I try even you know sometimes even though in very in a very uh I can feel myself being very very triggered and traumatized I still try to do that because I think it's everybody's got a right to be heard and yeah absolutely and I I, to be honest I do want to be um approachable and have an open door and you know say that I'll you know I will forgive like if somebody hurts me and they didn't really mean to and and they've got it wrong or if I got something wrong I'd hope they treat me the same way you know because I get things wrong all the time but but I've I've been reading I don't know whether you've heard of this woman called Loretta Ross no she's a black uh she's a black activist I'd suggest that you google her yeah and anybody that's listening to me speaking now if you google Loretta Ross um she's she's a a woman who was it was a she's been she's been a, a, an activist for a, a human a social justice uh, uh, activist for a human human re- reproductive rights activist for about 40 years in america and she's incredible it's mind-blowing what she talks about and she's just brought a book called calling in not calling out um and she talks about why she gives a really fabulous lived experience of, of, of working with the Ku Klux Klan, for example, working with wow. Nazis um, and why she why she's come to this point. So she, do, she 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 doesn't say that people should get away with doing harmful things to others, you know, because what we have to be careful of is that. The critique of this kind of you know not calling out is oh well you're just letting people get away with it well yeah. that's not what she says she says that if you find something that isn't right then you have to obviously address it but do it in yeah. a way that's and she says calling in is a compassionate way of calling out and do it over coffee invite somebody to this is these are her words not mine invite someone to be alongside you invite someone to look into your world and invite someone to talk to somebody that's had the lived experience. Mm. So um, 
so you know we we and she talks about the oh it's really fascinating what we'll do Sheena is I'll find some links to that and we'll put them in the bio of the podcast and people are able to to access that Um, I want to just pick up on when you're talking about physiological birth Sheena and one thing that we've both noticed in you know looking at in Sam's groups and and social media in particular and also you know clients that have come to us uh, is that the physiological norm or or sort of those those um what are they called parameters around what's normal have seemed to have expanded in a number of instances you know well you mentioned arm which for those who don't (coughs) sorry for those who don't know what it is, is artificial rectal membranes, which is a form of induction. Yeah. things along. Um, and we're looking now, on average, throughout, you know, I see a lot of the stats, the, the maternity trust stats get shared into my group. And, you know, there's this trust, the majority of them being shared, is showing induction rates plus planned cesarean at over 50%. And I would say that that's most hospitals now where... If you add up planned induction plus planned cesarean, never mind the augmentation and the artificial reprogramming thing that happens once you started the birth process, we're into like horrendously huge interventionist stats before we even start. Yeah, and I think part of part of getting to that point of having those those stats and the increases in inductions and cesareans is the fact that these parameters are being changed. So, for example. Um, you know, like the whole um, gestational diabetes, you know, the, for the testing for that, the, the, the parameters have widened, especially since I worked as a, as a um, maternity support worker and I actually did the, the GD tests. And I remember, you know, it went very quickly from not having very many people coming in for the GD test to, to being, you know, completely overwhelmed with people being tested for it and noticing people coming in that I wouldn't normally have expected to see coming in. And it, it seems that almost like the normal is, I, I don't know, it just doesn't seem balanced anymore. It almost seems that, you know, it, what's normal now is to have growth scans throughout your pregnancy. What's normal now is to um, go for a GD test. You know, so it, almost the things that used to be outside of the norm seem to be coming more um, more regular and more into like the, the standard practice. Absolutely. And that's why I'm flabbergasted on Twitter to read this morning a beautiful, beautiful response in, in every other way. Perfect response to the Ockenden review um, from a from a public health specialist. And she I think she may be an obstetrician as well. She'd written it. She's written a fabulous um, re- review. And uh, I can't I can't uh, think of her name at the moment, but she said that there's there's a, a a professional bias to push the normalization of pregnancy and i'm thinking well i don't know where that is because actually everywhere i i seem to look unless i'm just you know blinded to things um is is that there is a demedicalization there is a medicalization of pregnancy yeah. not a normalization of pregnancy so yeah. you know, i'm kind of whoa where's this happening because and the stats aren't showing us that that's happening so so right so just to just to deconstruct what you've just said in my mind and it's this is i'm sure you will, will agree with me it's all about fear yeah so this is all about risk management and fear and that and and in the in the in the in the desire and the mission to make things safer in inverted commas and to reduce risk we're never going to reduce all risk but no. to reduce risk um, the, the, the parameters are widening so that we try to, like Hannah Darling calls a super trawler, to we capturing all the little fish as we, as we gather, try to gather the, the two that we may, we may catch. We're getting every, everybody in. And the problem with that is that we, we, um, we are, are absolutely, you know, making, making normal physiological processes abnormal and, um, and and bringing with it you know potential harm yeah so, uh, and but that isn't just in the united kingdom it's everywhere i mean even in holland so the dutch midwives said they used they have a, a particular guideline everybody uses it in the whole of the netherlands they have one guideline it's got a name but it's dutch and i can't remember what it is but this guideline is you everybody uses it and and they they kind of assess women against this guidance 
And the guidance is, is there, like in the UK, as a, as, a, as, a, as a broad parameter so that you can work with women to help them to come to the right decision for them. So, you, you know, it's based on population data, as you know, and you can you can go along and, and to a, a session and just give this give the information. Many, many of the much of the time there's huge gaps. But anyway, the bit that we've got is here. But what's happened in Holland, it used to be like two pages long. This is just I, I don't know exactly how many pages, but just for say for, for just to give you an example, it used to be perhaps two pages long and now it's 42 pages long because they just keep bringing more things in. Well, we better do yeah. that just in case. We better do that just in case. And, you know, the research studies are being done. And so it might be that it's based on some kind of evidence. But when you start, we know we know very well that there's certain kinds of evidence that gets implemented like, like at the drop of a hat. Mm. And there's other evidence like continuative carer, for example, that takes years and years and years, if ever at all, that's, you know, that, that isn't picked up on. So we're up against... We're up against so many factors here. It's not one thing, it's many things, but the underpinning, the underpinning reason is risk management and fear because we are trying to get rid of all risk and we never will. Right. And, and by trying to do that en masse and in the way that we're doing it, because, because we're, we're, we're scrabbling to reduce, to, re, to make things better, we're scrabbling. And in the scrabble, we're not we're not paying attention to the the, the harm that's being caused, and there isn't there, there's you know there in some instances it's being highlighted, but there's many instances where it where it isn't, and so you're seeing you, as doulas and MS maternity support workers and student midwives. I always say you're the litmus test paper. You're the you're the mystery shopper. You're the ones who are not only going into services and seeing things as they are and seeing things for the woman and the birthing person you're actually seeing a multitude of things and you 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 actually you actually can compare practitioner with practitioner you compare hospital with hospital you know you're seeing everything and sometimes you're not listened to and that's the same with student midwives as well and that's the frustrating thing because you could be the one to make to make it to, to give the you know a wise a wise leader in a maternity service would say right let's get the let's get the people who work who are working with the communities as well as the communities because obviously you have to be careful of personal agendas but you 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 get the, a broad range of people which is i know mvps are trying to do that that actually are in contact with the families and listening to them we have the same issue with student midwives you know mm. I'm, and it's a brush of fresh air to hear you say that Sheena because I know I'm sitting there nodding my head because um, you know, I actually work quite closely with our local PMAs here and you know I often go to them and say this is this is what my client has has come and said to me and they they basically just say well we can't do anything unless they officially complain and then you know they've either they're either you know traumatized themselves and just can't face doing that or you know they've got a, a brand new baby to look after um, and so often it just doesn't happen and so change isn't made um, and so yeah being if you if we were listened to and that was taken at face value rather than having to get that that family that birthing person to sort of relive that trauma and and, and make an official complaint which can take you know we, we're all aware months and or years to sort of get through um then you know what is it that what is it that we can do we're a bit of a stalemate i guess yeah it's hard I, I, Go on, Sam. I'm running the National Home Birth Group and it's big. And because I'm the only admin, I see everything that goes on in that group. Yeah. So I, I feel that I've got my pulse on, on the national picture of what's happening to home birthing women. And that group's grown from 2,700 to 7,000 members since the start of COVID. So we've got a lot of new people joining with different perspectives and different viewpoints. And I don't feel that anybody listens to me, really. Not anybody, but... You know, I've noticed a massive issue with a big baby trial. I've been banging on about it for years and years and years now because I've noticed it because one trust might be running it ethically and properly and not coercing women into being induced for a big baby. But there are lots of people who are who are coercing. You know, we're seeing it more and more. Be induced for a big baby. Be induced for a big baby. Be induced for a big baby. And then asked to join the trial. 
I've been seeing it for years, yeah? Whereas, so that's already a biased trial. Whatever the results of it that come out, you've got this huge trust in what, 75 hospital, huge tests still going on in COVID in, in 75 or more hospitals that in some places it's not being done properly to, to you know, nobody wants to listen because I'm just a stupid doula and I just get passed around. That's how I feel. Not within our local trusts, to be honest. I do have quite good relationships with our consultant midwives, but then I find it, what I find harder to speak to them about is the local picture because I don't even know where a lot of the people I'm talking to are from. But mm. I don't think that as doulas, our views are particularly respected. And I actually am at the point from running the, the home birth support group where I think the biggest risk to my group members as a collective, not to individuals, but as a whole, is iatrogenic harm or medically caused harm because they're not being listened to. They're being coerced into interventions that they don't want. I think a conservative estimate would be to say that 75% of our members, and I would say if I was to sit down and number it, it would be higher, are being told that they're high risk, high risk, high risk, high risk, high risk all the time. And we're at the staging group, and I think we said this in the last podcast we recorded, where women who are having positively supported home births within the group are apologising apologizing for having good care because the vast majority of our members are being subjected to being tried to talk out of their home talks out of their home birth yeah Yeah, so I hear that as well Sam so just to clarify that you're not on your own because I I I, you know I I kind of just to give you an example I I spoke to a man from Scotland he contacted me via Twitter he was put onto my name by somebody that works in the I think he were, he never told me what he did for his job but I think it was very high up in the NHS but he wanted to have his baby at home and him and his wife were made to feel like um like naughty children because her hemoglobin was on the border it actually wasn't low it wasn't in the low range it was just on the border and and she she's very they're very intelligent people who really were happy to negotiate but were made to feel very uncomfortable and she and they asked me you know they were seeing different midwives every week they didn't see the same person and felt very very worried about what how they were going to manage to cope with the system if they if they did go into the birth center how they would how would they negotiate it and I feel very sad to say that I advise them to get a doula because because that would be the only way they'd get it, you know, if they didn't have a continuity and they didn't have um, uh, anybody that they felt that they could speak to, then they, that would be a way of trying to find out what, what the best midwifery model was, was to th- through a doula. So, um, but just to, go, just to kind of talk to you about, you know, having a broad, a broad view, you're hearing all these things. One of the things we have to do when, we, when we're listening to, to the conversation from women is verify, verify what they're saying as their, their, it's their experience, you know, their, how they experience something. And I learned how to do this when I ran sessions for women who were self-declaring trauma. And this again is 10, more than 10 years ago. And their, their, their accounts of trauma were, were not seen by others. As, so, so my colleagues, when I'd be talking to them and telling them what I'd heard from women, you know, were, were defensive. They were defensive. So you've got to understand that when, when somebody, you, and I'm sure you do, both of you, and Becky, and you're very experienced people now in birth workers, and you've, you, you've got to understand that uh, people you know, folks working in the maternity services are, are, they're put under so much pressure that, that, that even one tiny, tiny space in their lives to look at something differently is, is challenged. And so um, it's really difficult to get that, to get that engagement so that they can really truly listen to you, what you have to say and do something about it. It's a pity because once you start building your service on the feedback that you're receiving, which we should be doing anyway, that's, I mean, it's been going on for years and years and years now, transparency and listening to people that, that then that's when real changes are made, you know, that's when you can start to move forward. I think the way you do it is very important. And, and it is, that's like any relationship that you build, it has to be mutual re- respect and mm-hmm. understanding of the other person's perspective. And, and it has to be two way, doesn't it? Like both, both 
everybody has to try to understand it. But I think you just, I, I'm sorry, but you know, it's just keep trying to keep trying to engage and make those, you know, doing it in a way that's non, non uh, confrontational is always better. Yeah. So going, going and saying, can we have, we can't now, but you know, what, when COVID's over, can we have coffee together? Can we meet, you know, um, trying not to trying not to let the emotion get get to you know overtaking you just as it would if you're having a conversation with somebody you love you know don't let the emotion just because I, I find that hard sometimes mm. um but yeah I mean what I suppose what what one of one of the things I wanted to assure you with is that what you're telling me is happening in most places there are examples of good practice where you see, um, you see the you know service user organisations working really closely with with the local trusts, local um, health authorities, and and the rest of local hospitals, and and it and it's brilliant when it works well. But you know, I've I've had personal experiences of of you know like the, the kind of conflict between those saying how it really is. Um, but, but, you know, when, when many, many years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, my, I worked for one of the best maternity services in the whole country. And it was in Blackburn in Lancashire with, with it had the third highest deprivation score in England. And uh, the reason that we, were, that, that we were one of the best was because we had um, what do you what do we used to call them uh, before maternity services liaison committee? Yes. Yeah. Right. So we had one of those. We had a fabulous head of midwifery called Pauline Quinn, who has actually been trying to ring me whilst um, whilst I've been on to you, <laughs> and she was she was a, a fabulous, phenomenal head of midwifery. But she engaged with Claire Harding who worked for the NCT, she was an NCT tutor. Now I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, kind of uh, uh, sort of personal feelings about NCT, but I've always loved, I've always loved them because they've done a lot for maternity services, but in the, in the early years, but you know, the, um, she was she was a, a she used to listen to the women that came to her and because she, she held the postnatal groups didn't she afterwards in her house and she used to come to Pauline and tell Pauline what women were saying so Pauline used to go back to the to the MSLC which were held every month obstetricians there pediatricians neonatologists and she, and they she made them listen to this and they actually changed services because of what um Claire Harding and it's written up you know it's been written up um in the past as it being a good example that's what we should be doing really really listening to what you're saying taking note of it meeting with you regularly having coffee with you online coffee now but you know and especially if there's themes asking you to pick up on the themes what Mm. are they what are the worrying points that you know, and we're not, you're not looking to call out individuals, you're looking to just, yeah, let's try to make things better within our organisation. But again, I'm really sorry, but it's down to fear again, like, absolutely, yeah, afraid of what might come out, afraid what they might be asked to do, afraid who's gonna, who's gonna do it, who's gonna, you know, um, so there's, there's, yeah, it's, you've not got an easy task, have you? Really? <laughs> no, and especially at the moment, Sheena, you know, obviously we've, we've mentioned it briefly and we try not to, to devote too much time to it because it doesn't deserve it. But obviously we've got COVID going on at the moment. Mm. And so this is causing a lot of difficulties for expectant families um, and healthcare professionals alike. Um, what kind of things are you sort of hearing of or experiencing during the pandemic at the moment? Yes, well, lots really. I mean, from my friends who are working um, in direct contact with uh, with families, uh, just the just the just the incredible pressure that yeah. they're under because their staffing levels are depleted enormously. They were already bad, but they're they're now like twice as bad, sometimes three times as bad. So they're working long hours. They're exhausted. They absolutely hate turning partners away it traumatizes them as much as it does the woman or the birthing person you know they they feel they feel angry they feel upset 
they feel um, conflicted, they feel like they're living in a nightmare, um, you know, all, the, all those things. And they just need, they just need love and attention. And, you know, they're not getting it because there's no time. And so I'm hearing all that. Then I'm hearing the other side of it where, where like my family even, you know, my friends and family, their children are, are finding it really hard when they can't have their, their partner with them. Um, for, for part of the journey and they're scared about going into hospital they're scared about going into an environment that potentially might give them the virus they're scared to go to their antenatal appointments um, so you know it's just I don't think anybody is finding it easy at all no. and this is what this is what I am seeing and this is what I'm talking about in group a lot because honestly I'm at the stage and I've made a couple of lives about it where as soon as the word COVID is mentioned into group I literally feel sick with anxiety because I know the next thing that's going to happen is a row between in a group where we've never rowed in our group never it's been a it's a kind caring compassionate group that's our ethos we can disagree but we have to disagree kindly but yeah. as soon as somebody mentions COVID it just explodes and then they end up turning on me which I don't enjoy at all yeah so I've made some lives about it but what I'm seeing missing from midwifery services completely absolutely completely is a compassion and understanding that women are scared the reason women want to decline COVID tests in, in going into hospital is because they are bloody terrified that they're going to be separated from their babies and guidelines say they're not going to be separated from their babies and world health organization guidelines say they're not going to be separated from their babies okay but that doesn't allay the layer of fear that is coming from a distrust that is being caused by them not being listened to in their pregnancies. They've already not been listened to. They're already sort of mistrustful. They're already, for my members, transferring in a lot from home, planned home births. So they, they if I, I honestly believe that if the maternity trust listened to women and they were putting out videos explaining what's going to happen if you have a positive test, explaining that they're not going to automatically separate you from your baby, explaining that they're going to do their best to keep it together, Instead of what I'm seeing, which is a layer of secrecy, you've got these trusts putting out dictatorial language. You will have a COVID test. Not we would prefer you to, or would you, or, you know, to support our mid, you will. And then when women start asking, or women and people start asking, what happens if I have a positive test? They say, oh, can you PM us? Can you message us privately? Which creates a layer of secrecy and it enhances that fear. I'm seeing a massive lack of explanation of understanding of transparency of, of you know and and mm. to be fair some maternity voices partnerships the maternity association committees that that you gatekeeping now so you know when when i have people who want to speak to the head of midwifery the addresses for head of the email addresses are, are buried or hidden they contact the mvps to try and get them the mvps say oh we can't give that information out can you tell us well some of these people aren't asking to speak to the mvp they want to speak to the head of midwifery and if they want to speak to a senior member of the midwifery team they should be able to yeah. without having to become super sleuths to try and find an email address so that they can do it there's no email addresses on the websites that you know, oh, it's no. that's, oh. a shame. that's a shame that it yeah I, I mean I can't speak for individual organizations Sam you know that but yeah. it's a shame that they they can't have the the uh, their their email addresses on and I would direct what I would do in that instance so there are there are organizations where all that you've just said is happening so I'll give you an example South Warwickshire for example Sarah Noble is the head of midwifery and she has videos for uh, for families to listen to so if you google South Warwickshire maternity services you get up Sarah's um, uh, 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 website and share that share that with your chief executive and ask I would suggest you go direct to the chair of the board of, of uh, trust governors of trust board yeah. and share it politely as respectfully with compassion because you know they're under enormous pressure um, and and say to them this is what this is what we would really like we'd really like we'd really like to be able to have a point of contact. There used to be supervisors of midwives yeah. that we could contact and now they've gone. Is there any way you could direct, give us an, a, an email address? Now, there's also other organizations that have brilliant Ask the Midwife um, 
uh, you know, on social media. So, and they have webs, they have social media accounts. So I think that you have to really uh, um, kind of push the, the trust to do that by giving them shining examples of, of, of organizations that are doing it well. So what we there have are plenty out there doing it well, aren't there, Sheena? Yeah. It's yeah, just that not, obviously they're not all talking to each other, are they? No, they're not. And we have to sing about the ones that are doing well rather than keep complaining about the ones that Wallingford's, aren't. Wallingford Maternity Centre put out a beautiful post about home birth the other I day. That. But this is not just about home birth. This is about... Because home birth is just catering for a very small amount of women. Yeah. You know, my children, could, my, my youngest daughter, she there's no way she could have had a home birth, and she still wanted the same type of of care. You know, I'm just writing an article about that at the moment. But it, you know, she wanted to be loved and respected just as anybody having a home birth does. So mm. we have to think yeah. of the majority of women as well that are, that are need need that information because they're going into hospital. So I would I would get, you know, these organizations that are really trying to communicate. And if ever you want me to put you in touch with Sarah, uh, she's just one person who's doing it. There's lots of others doing it really well. Um, then I always would. She could do a podcast. It would be lovely to have yeah, a yeah, midwife coming from that. And yeah, yeah, we do talk a lot about home birth. That's just because I run the home birth group. But I, I mean for everything from general anesthetic cesarean through to you know it's not just you're right yeah I think we have to keep remembering that you know it's honestly Sam home births my 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 passion so I, you're talking to someone who who feels like you and 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 that's my expertise you know but but most people aren't having home births and most people need to have the same experience and that's what we should be working towards absolutely and we know we you know we've got the evidence now what women like we they like the nice environment they like the midwifery care that they get in a home birth setting or in a birth center setting they like they love that so on in the majority there's some that don't want that of course and that's risk to be respected as well but do you know we know that what and we should be really saying right and this is this is why I, I'm really keen on in instead of comp always always taking the the negative stance, you know, for every for every negative story, let's choose five positive stories. Hmm. For every for every negative thing we've got going, let's look at five positive things that are absolutely because as well, people who are doing a good job haven't got time to sing to sing about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying the ones who aren't doing a good job have got time, they haven't either. But, you know, that's why one of the things we do at All for Maternity is we we are, you know, we have like two, we have two big kind of underpinning um, philosophies, if you like, or, or, or themes that we want to work on. And they're both wrapped up in courage and compassion. So, you know, the courage, the compassion to understand, to to um, to empathize, to be be alongside or even underneath individuals, so that you can truly try to 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 get where they're coming from, and and then the other uh, the other side is the courage to act on that compassion that you've had and to speak up and out, but in a compassionate way. So mm -hmm. compassionate activism, you know, be 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 the very best person you can be. It doesn't mean to say you'll always get it right. I get it wrong so many times, and I lose the plot, and I cry my eyes out. And and but it's just you know we we can only try like we're tiny little specks, aren't we, on this earth? And we can just try our best, but really amplifying the the, the you know as well as amplifying the voices of the the most in need in the in in our worlds, the most disenfranchised communities, the ones who are who can't get their voices heard, we have a responsibility to amplify their voices. And at the same time, amplify in organizations that are doing just that, that are, that are, and that are going above and beyond, that they're reaching out via social media, via films, via the videos that you were saying, Sam, you know, the information uh, done in a way that, you know, even deaf people can understand, they can read, you know, people who don't speak English, they've got non, you know, non-English speaking resources it, and it, these take time and energy and they take good leadership they take insightful leadership compassionate leadership to do all these things and they take resources money um, but also you know the energy to do it so 
um, there are places that are doing that. Let's keep shining the light on them and, you know, turning the table, turning the table, because actually when you keep complaining and shouting about the things that are going wrong, not only does it take all your energy and sap your, sap your, the light in your life, it, you're going in a, you go, you're going in a vicious circle yeah. and vicious circles, you go down and down and down and down and down until you get to the bottom and then you're burnt out and then you can't do anything. Whereas if you stay at the brim and you stay kind of in this little circle at the brim so that you, you, you understand the problems, you can see the problems, but you can also see in your vision you can also see that the, the things that are going well and that there are people out there that are doing phenomenal work and that we need to be there saying yeah you're doing brilliant work not only to give them the constant you know like pat on the back which they need but also to not just give an example to the ones who, who maybe can't do it but give a lifeline to the ones who aren't doing it and in and in the worst possible um, way shame some people because they may not want to do it but you know we have to give them the benefit of the doubt that actually maybe that they don't know how to so let's click click them together mm. and I've um I, I've done some some roles myself recently with I'm, an, I'm the Doodle UK rep locally here and I've also run some of the Doodle UK uh, introductory workshops with people thinking about training to be a doula and I often get asked the question as to you know um how do you work with midwives that potentially are, are defensive with you or, or don't like doulas or what have you and things like that? And I'll always say to them that, you know, if there's some things happened that you need to complain about, then you complain about them. But also it's really important that we are praising the, the good, not good behavior, that sounds very patronizing, but you know, the, the best practice that, that you're seeing. So if I'm in, in hospital, um, obviously, which I haven't been for a while, if I'm in hospital with a client and I see a midwife that's doing really well, I might say to her, you know, my client really appreciated that, you know, thank you very much. You know, if they've done really well, I might go to, to the coordinator and say, I just wanted to say that the midwife was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I think it's really important that we're also not just complain 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 it is about feeding back all the positive things because yeah. then you know the hospitals of trust can see what's working as well yeah absolutely and so i'm sure you need me to finish now <laughs> no i mean we're just we will just we'll, we'll just yeah. wind up a bit i was just going to sort of say you mentioned all form maternity and do you want to just take this opportunity to let the listeners know what it is what you can offer because i uh, it would be great and if the and the practicing midwife. Yeah, I can. I can really quickly because, uh, yeah, because I don't want to, to hold too much time. So um, my daughter, Anna, who I mentioned, is a midwife and she was the editor of a journal, which is a very famous journal called The Practicing Midwife. And it's something I've read all my career. And um, she was the editor for it, but she wanted to expand it and do because she's an educator. She's a midwifery lecturer and she wanted to make it bigger and better and have more resources to go with it. But the person who owned it at the time, we didn't want to do that. He wasn't really interested. And he, 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 so she persuaded me and persuaded my family. She persuaded me to go into to. Um, to buy in it and and to do it something together we'd always wanted to work together we'd always want you know we've got the same that completely the same philosophies and we you know obviously mum and daughter it's great so so we we bought it and it and it cost us a lot of money and we took a great big plunge to do this and so we bought it and then we transformed it so that it became not just the practicing midwife but an organization called all for maternity and we didn't want it to be called all for midwifery or all for midwives because we wanted it to be for doulas, for obstetricians, for maternity support workers, for a wannabe midwives, anybody. So um, that's what we called it. And 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 we're a, t we're a tiny team, but we're growing constantly. We have doulas on our team. We um, we we produce resources like we have two journals now. We have the Practicing Midwife, which is eleven journals a year. You can have the hard copy or the flipbook online journal. It fits for in with doula doula training as well because it's very informative. It's peer reviewed, evidence based, but it's aimed at practicing midwives, which are like doulas in a in the sense that they're in direct contact with women and families. So it's about that practice. It's about bringing the evidence base 
from here into practical solutions. So easily understandable practical solutions for you to work with. And as a doula, I would say that it would be, it's really good for you to join. You get, you get a discounted rate, but it's a good thing to join because you really need to keep up with the evidence as well so that you can advocate for your client if she needs you to. She might not need you to, but you know, you can, you can have that information at your fingertips. But anyway, that's on, on top of the journals. We, and we have student midwife journal as well, four times a year run by student midwives. We also have e-learn modules that are easily accessible that contain video footage. We have study sheets. We have a nurture zone. We have a member zone that has offers for discounts on things like Pinter and Martin and Walida. There's a 30% discount on all Walida products if you're a member. Um, we have podcasts. We have, uh, we're a community. So we see ourselves as a birthing community for education, for nurturing, for compassionate support. Um, and, and we feel quite unique because we're run by midwives, we're a family. We collaborate. We don't. We don't. We're like we don't agree with competition. We just collaborate. Yeah. That's what we do, and that's us. All for maternity.com. Fabulous. And I'm already signed up, Sheena. So you don't need to tell it oh. to me. But <laughs> Sam, is there anything that you'd like to say before we sort of close up, darling? No, just thank you, Sheena. Really, thank you so much for coming and for everything that you do and for your inspiring talks and all of the stuff that you do. Really. Um, um, yeah. any last words Gina before we say goodbye um, just to say thank you to you two and you know first you know thank you for inviting me because every single time I get an invite to do anything like whether it's a student midwife conference or to join a group or or whatever I always get this huge like oh wow you know they must think I'm okay and <laughs> and even I'm 65 you know so even at my age I feel very privileged when so thank you for inviting me but more than that thank you for for all you do because I know that it takes a lot of your emotional energy and you're both you know really passionate women who are uh, you know you you know every single thing you do you're influencing for a better future and we can only do it together can't we yeah. we can only we can't do anything on our own so the more we join up together and do podcasts like this and speak about things that really matter to to women and birthing people and families is, is really important so thank you for taking time to do it and thank you for for just being being so courageous and so compassionate and um yeah and just i just want to send you my huge respect and also lots and lots of love to you as well oh straight back at you shana i'm just, just thank just, you stop now before the tears come because that's lovely <laughs> all right then all right, so that's it for the podcast today we'll say goodbye and goodbye to the lovely sam the lovely sheena bye, and we'll bye see you again next time bye everybody bye Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.